Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back inside the screening room. We made up for the kind of a quiet week last week with two big movies. We've got a bunch to talk about Loads. this week, and a lot of them are good, yes, which is really, yeah, really looking forward to this one. So the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, and we're going to start with the return of Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling, who teamed up in La La Land, of course, and win some Oscars. They're back with a look at the life of astronaut Neil Armstrong and the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon in 1969. It's called First Man. We've chosen a job so difficult, requiring so many technological developments. We are going to have to start from scratch. Only after we master these tasks do we consider trying to land on the moon. Neil, if this flight is successful, you'll go down in history. What kind of thoughts do you have about that? We're planning on the flight being successful. The vehicle's not safe. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. This isn't just another trip, Neil. You're not just going to work. Do you think you're coming back? There are risks, but we have every intention of coming back. Here we go. Six, five, four, three, two. Well, first off, this is another example of how just the space program, the history of space exploration, continues to fascinate us. And this movie does a great job of rewarding that. But when you look at the history of those types of movies, you know, um, The Right Stuff, Mm -hmm. even Hidden Figures Mm -hmm. a couple Mm -hmm. of years ago, this one really stands out because it really probes the, the emotional toll on one specific man, and also some of the some of the other uh, people involved in the mission, than the other films do, I think, and that's what makes it really stick. I I also think that that Chazelle strips away the glamour, you know, um, the artifice, the sort of bombast and polish that oh, yeah. that you see in in most of these films. Partly because a lot of the, I mean, the films are are um, you know they're always set in the past, and so a lot of times those things are treated with like kind of a glossy in uh, kind of a glossy way and this is absolutely not well, it's very verite even in style and also what we've come to expect from him yeah. if you go back to whiplash yeah. and of course la la, la, la land, land yeah, had couldn't this be more different. pixie dust all over it you're right this one is very grainy very gritty uh, that takes you into the time period i think but also yeah makes it makes it very somber and uh, and gives you a totally different type of filmmaking than we're used to with this director right. but he's still Equally skillful, though, in pulling oh, it off. absolutely, because one of the things that it does, you know, as opposed to just making the training, for example, seem like crazy, and it really makes you a little ill. Like, you have a sense of the claustrophobia and the, the tension and the difficulty. Some of it almost feels like it's GoPro, the way it was filmed, you <laughs> yeah, know? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <clears throat> so it's exciting, but at the same time, it's it's unpleasant sometimes in the way it's exciting. And then I think that by doing that sort of stripped down, it gives it lets certain scenes have their own power, like their own. They were going to be powerful anyway. Don't pile it on. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and there are certain scenes in the film 
that are really gut-wrenching, I think partly because of this sort of understated way that it was filmed. Yeah, and the whole thing runs through the story of Neil Armstrong, who's played by Ryan Gosling, who gives another very, very fine performance. And taking this film and this treatment as evidence, you know, he was maybe a hard guy to get to know. Not the Neil most, Armstrong. Yeah, not the most effervescent guy. He did suffer uh, some tragedy. He and his wife suffered some tragedy in their life. And, and when something like that happens, it's hard to imagine what kind of kind of toll that could take sure. on how you approach the rest of your life. So uh, that certainly comes into play. But his his demeanor, you get this sense as it goes along that it aided him in this mission. Yeah. And that's why I think they NASA kept turning to him he stood out as someone that could be counted on, and obviously that he, he paid them off for that. Uh, you know, and I think it's interesting. Claire Foy plays his wife, Janet, and they're an, an unusual couple. Yeah. Um, they're definitely not a typical movie couple, uh, and, uh, and yet that's their relationship is really the center of the film. It's the emotional center of the film. They're interesting characters, and they really play off each other well, but in an unusual way. If, if there's a... If there's a flaw in the film for me, it's that Chazelle's approach really mirrors this sort of arm's length, distant personality type that is Neil Armstrong. Mm -hmm. And that, to a certain degree, keeps you from feeling as attached to the players inside the, the story as you might be otherwise. But at the same time, though, I, I understand that, but doing that getting more inside him artificially might have really betrayed the kind of person he was. I mean, I'm assuming that this is this is uh, legitimate. I didn't know him, obviously, even though he is an Ohio native. Yes, he is. Um, but uh, so I, I get where you're you're coming from. But I, I don't think that approach bothered me maybe uh, as much as it bothered you. I thought it kind of kind of fit the personality. And also the thing that this movie does, it, it takes you back to. You know, the, the fascination with this mission, getting into space, of course it was about beating the Russians, sure, that was part of it, uh, but also the wonder of exploration the and the questionings. People, Some people were questioning, why are we spending so much a money on this? A lot of people on were, this, especially, and I thought it was a nice change of pace to actually have that, it was. have that bubble up to the surface. And it wasn't just people from the outside, people inside NASA mm -hmm. were like, you know, after, you know, seven, eight, nine people die. That's the thing. You it, know, it, it's 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 really a, a, an insightful look inside NASA as well as out. Yeah, and it makes you realize the toll, the emotional toll and the human life toll mm -hmm. that it took to achieve this incredible goal. And then when it gets to that part, I think, you know, there are IMAX versions out there. We didn't see the IMAX version. We didn't. You know what? I, I would be interested in seeing the sure. end in IMAX yeah. because when it gets time to getting on the moon, you do have that awestruck yeah. feeling yeah. when he gets out of the uh, the lunar module there. And it's funny, he teases, Chazelle teases it early because before Armstrong is with NASA, he's with a like a, you know, a jet company and, and he does some um, stratosphere tests. Yeah, test pilot. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and you get the first little bits of that wonder, that mm. awe as he breaks through the clouds into the utter silence, yes. you know? And that's also the first time that they really introduce this very visceral camera work, uh, you know, as he tumbles and has to right himself. It's actually, I love the way the film opens because right away it represents sort of the two extremes of what you're going to be seeing and it and it's a great foreshadowing for the entire film. Yeah, I think it's really an, a very fine piece of filmmaking all the way around on a technical side, mm -hmm. 
uh, performances are all solid. The ensemble cast, top to bottom, is good. Everything about it is is so well constructed and well done. I think it it leaves a a very nice emotional mark. It may not be for everybody. It's a little long. It's two and a half hours, mm-hmm. and it you know it is like you say. It's reserved and it. It moves along at its own pace, but uh, I, I think it's very well done and uh, definitely will probably be among some awards contenders uh, for the end of the year. And then his first man. And the next big movie to talk about, the return of writer-director Drew Goddard, telling the story of seven strangers, each with a secret to bury, meet at Lake Tahoe's El Royale. Bad times at the El Royale. First time at the El Royale? You have the option to stay in either California or Nevada. I always want to stay in the honeymoon suite, even though I'm not currently on my honeymoon. <laughs> it's a little too quiet in here. It gives me the willies. Sir? Can't take my eyes off you. We have a problem. You'd be like heaven to you watch me? I only watch who they tell me to watch. Who's they? Management. Did you think you could just take what's mine? I wouldn't come a hunt. No, I figured you would. And I'd be ready when you did. Are you lost, Father? Can I confess something to you? I'm not really a priest. This looks like a fun premise and a great cast. But uh, but also, you know, the last time Drew Goddard wrote and directed a film, it was Cabin in the Woods, which we loved. Yes. This one has a bit of that same cabin in the woods mentality, the way it sets up, the way it moves along. But then it also reminded me uh, a good deal of Tarantino, Mm -hmm. specifically specifically of a movie like Kill Bill. Uh, It's got an extended running time as it starts to play with different characters' histories and backstories, plays with the timeline, Mm -hmm. puts uh, placards up, you know, as it moves, instead of going from, you know, like Black Mamba to, you know, whoever in um, Kill Bill, it'll go to Room 5, Room 7, and you find out who's in there at the El Royale and why are they there and what's the backstory. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a blast of color. It's so colorful. It's very, it's, it's got a great soundtrack. It's set in the late 1960s, so there's lots of great pop hits from the 60s that he weaves in and out, sort of like the way Scorsese does a little mm-hmm, bit. Mm-hmm. So it's just fun top to bottom. Yeah, you get these all these strangers that meet there for different purposes. Uh, Jeff Bridges may be a priest, maybe not. You know, John Hamm may be a vacuum salesman, maybe, maybe not. not. There's a, a lounge singer, a Vegas singer. Then there's a hippie, uh, Dakota Johnson, that shows up. And, oh, she's got somebody in the trunk of her car. What's up with that? And then the seemingly one employee of the El Royale, uh, Miles, the bellboy slash night clerk slash bartender, he's got a very interesting backstory as well. So there's a lot going on in this this uh, hotel. It's pretty much abandoned. It straddles the line, the California and Nevada state line. And the it used to be hopping back in the day before the Nevada side lost its gambling license. Mm-hmm. And then everybody from the Rat Pack and everybody else quit coming. Sure. But all these strangers are there, all for a, a different reason, and things start to go haywire. And it's it's really fun. The fun is how your perceptions of these characters change mm-hmm. and what you think you know about them. You think you've got them figured out, or what's their angle, and who's double-crossing who, and then you don't. And then there's a couple surprising early fatalities, like, oh. Um, and then it all it all rolls along, and then it leads up to what should be a finale on the order of, well, not exactly on the order of, but 
in sort of tone to uh, the Cabin in the Woods. You remember how, as fun as that was, what it led to. Yeah, it was brilliant. It really was. And and uh, and up until the finale, it's just a very, very clever horror movie spoof. And then when you get to the end, it's genius. It's yes. just genius. Now, this, it sort of works in reverse here because this also has an extended running time. Uh, we talked about First Man. This this one does, too. This is pushes two and a half hours, I think. But the the ending just can't, for me, just couldn't justify all the time it took to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Hemsworth comes into the picture as a strange uh, character that has, he's collecting uh, a score, wants to settle a score from one of the inhabitants of the uh, El Royale. And then it all comes to a head. And it should be more fun than it is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talking involved before things happen. And uh, it just kind of put a, a little bit of a wet blanket on all that led up to getting to all that point. All the fun that got you didn't, there. Yeah, didn't kill the film at all. I still, th- I still would recommend it. I still think it's fun. But uh, especially for those like ourselves who are so familiar with the, the work of Drew Goddard and Cabin in the Woods... It uh, doesn't lead to that. I mean, there's no, there's no Sigourney Reaver, anything like that. You know, or, uh, there's no big send off that really makes makes the journey worthwhile. In this case, the journey is more fun, right. than the destination. Mm-hmm. But still, it's it's fun enough, and I had a good time with Bad Times at the El Royale. The next big release this week, one for the families, one for Halloween. It's two young friends finding a magic book that brings a ventriloquist dummy to life. Goosebumps to Haunted Halloween. Haunted Halloween. Did you miss me? You discovered a walking, talking dummy and you didn't tell me? Okay, well, he seemed like a really nice guy at the start. I was just talking to a friend of mine who lives in Sleepy Hollow, New York, <laughs> and she always says that we need to come visit around Halloween because she says every house in the town is completely decorated, which just made me think of this movie. Well, it, it, it's got nothing on the town in this movie because I want to visit this town for <laughs> Halloween, and it really comes into play for a movie that I thought was just a lot of fun. You know, we focus so much on horror movies. You know, we have the other uh, podcast that focuses just on horror movies called Fright Club. So we get a lot of people ask us a lot of questions about horror movies. And this time of year, we get, what about families? What? Right. It's Halloween. It's We want to watch something with our kids, but we don't want them to be too creeped out by it. It's right. a good one. And this one, for me, jumps right to the top of the list. I think this is just really fun family Halloween movie. I mean, it's set with the, the on the works of R.L. Stein, mm-hmm. who's a Columbus, Ohio native, by the way, yes, which is. is our home base. And it all has to do with the unfinished manuscript from his first book. And R.L. Stein again is played in the movie by Jack Black as he played he played him in the first one. Other than that, though, everybody's new. Uh, the, the director is Ari Sandler, who did uh, a really smarter than average uh, teen comedy a few years ago that I really liked called The Duff. Uh, he's the director this time, and they've got a new writer as well. And uh, it happens with this 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 magical book is found, and along with the magical book, the dummy, uh, voiced by Jack Black as well, hmm. uh, named Slappy. And Slappy wants a, a, a family of his own. And specifically, a mom of his own, and uh, he will. His moms are the best. Yeah, and he will bring <laughs> all the Halloween decorations of the town to life to get it, and that is just a blast. Yeah. Because, as we said, this town goes all out for Halloween, especially uh, the local holiday enthusiast played by Ken Jong, who's, who's al- always fun. Always He's funny. so fun to have in yeah. any movie. So, if you just imagine yourself going to the Halloween aisle at Target, 
and all the masks and all the uh, costumes just come to life and grow bodies and go <laughs> about the town. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not that you can tell they didn't have the biggest budget in the world, right. but what they had, they really put to good use. Right. Uh, the humor is silly, but it's not stupid. Right. Um, you know, everything is just aimed for that tween audience, and I think it, it knows what it wants to do, where it wants to go. It hits it exactly, but at the same time, throwing the parents enough with a little nod here to it, right. another nod, a big nod, actually, to Frankenstein, sure. that the, the parents are not going to be bored. They're not going to feel like this is pandering. Uh, the, 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 the cast, everybody, the kids, everybody, and include, speaking of it, uh, one of the kids from it, mm-hmm. I think his name is Jeremy Ray Taylor, is uh, one of the kids in this movie. Everybody's fun. Uh, it makes things like science and reading seem cool. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with that. No. So all in all, I thought it was just, uh, and it gets it all done in under 90 minutes. So I just think all in all, this is a real winner for uh, for families at Halloween, Goosebumps 2. Our next movie is based on the true story of Forrest Tucker and his audacious escape from San Quentin at the age of 70 to an unprecedented string of heists that confounded authorities and enchanted the public. It's the old man and the gun. So, uh, what did you say you do? Well, that's a secret. And why is that? Well, because if I told you, you probably wouldn't want to see me again. Who said I was going to see you again? Would you? Well, let's take this place. Say it was a bank, and instead of that counter up there, that was really a teller's window, and you just walk in real calm. So you walk right up, look her in the eye, and you say, ma'am, this is a robbery, and you show her the gun like this. And you say, I wouldn't want you to get hurt, because I like you. I like you a lot. So don't go breaking my heart now, okay? <sighs> You're not serious. Five states. 93 robberies. In two years. Somebody should have told him to quit while he was in. Wherever. I sat down with him once, and I said, surely there's an easier way to make a living. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm not talking about making a living. I'm just talking about living. David Lowry is a fascinating director, and he has sort of, you can't really pin down his style exactly, but Ain't Them Body Saints I loved so much, and then A Ghost Story you just loved last year. Yeah, and then he did, in between, he did the kids' uh, movie Pete's Dragon, which I thought didn't work as well, but it was technically, it was it was well put together, just had some tonal problems. But here he goes in a totally different direction, yep. and still puts together a very satisfying movie that just has a... I, I, I called it a, a satisfying mosey. Yeah. This film is a mosey, and that's all it wants to be. And it's it's light in the story. It is the true story of this legendary, kind of a folk hero. Right. Uh, bank robber. And he's played by Robert Redford, who, you know, a screen icon uh, himself, a legend himself. And he's kind of waffled over the last couple of months. And his first he said this was going to be his last acting role. Uh, and if it is his acting role, this is a great send-off. Yes, it, it is. really is. Yeah, it is. He's kind of waffled since then, and that's fine. But he's he's really perfect for the role, because if you look back on his career, I mean, let's face it, he he has been more on charm than range. Yes. You know, uh, for, for achieving what he's he's achieved. Taking nothing away from him, but he's he's long on charm as in performances and short on range. And kind of that is sort of what this movie is. There's it's not deep. No. It's not deep in any way, but it's just a kick to watch. It is. And and a kick to just go along with these characters. Yeah, and and uh, shortly into the film, shortly after he and his his two colleagues hold up the first bank that they'll that we'll see them hold up in this movie. 
he stumbles across Sissy Spacek, whose character is uh, her car is broken down by the side of the road. And he picks her up and drives her to where she needs to be. And, uh, you know, they strike up a, a very sweet relationship. And she, first of all, Sissy Spacek is a phenomenal talent. She's great. And the two of them together are just amazing. It's such a joy to see the two of them in every scene they do. It is. It is. As she kind of starts to figure out what is your deal and she's kind of bemused and yeah. laughing and yeah. what what's up with you yeah. and that just adds a more of a twinkle to his eye yeah and it, you're right they're the two of them together are worth the price of admission for this movie but then you've got his two accomplices danny glover tom, tom waits yeah who drops some great humor and he's got some yeah. dry one-liners they don't have a lot of scenes but the scenes they do have are a hoot they are. you know it's like the dialogue you almost think they're just making it up as they go because yeah. it has nothing to do with anything but it's awesome yeah there's just these three old guys that have this <laughs> these bank robberies down to a science and then you've got the lawman played by casey affleck a favorite of uh, David Lowry's on his tail, and he is solid as well because he brings this this attitude. Once he starts learning about who this guy is, he's got a a, res, a frustrated respect. Yeah, for like I can't believe you're doing this, and yeah. you're doing it right in front of my face and daring me to capture you. It goes along like we said. It's not deep, but it's fun to just spend some time with these characters. And in the end, it's it ends up being they they use uh, Lowry actually uses some footage from a couple of old yeah. Redford yep. movies. Yep. And he uses them pretty, well. pretty organically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pretty well. So in the end, you not only get a, a tip of the hat to this folk hero, but you get, whether it's his last movie or not, as an actor, you get a nice tip of the hat to this screen legend. Yep. And you, you get it done in, in both uh, in both manners in this movie. So, yeah, it's just like a, like a, a Sunday drive with somebody who just tells good stories. Right. And really, in the end, it's, it's kind of a, just a salute to... The joy of loving what you do. Yes. For, for this man, this old man, it was, he just loved robbing banks. He did. <laughs> he just did. He wasn't going to hurt anybody. No. He, in fact, he was a gentleman while mm-hmm. he did it. Mm-hmm. But he loved robbing banks. And, of course, Redford has loved being a, you know, a Hollywood uh, icon for years. So it it's, it's just was an enjoyable and just kind of, a, like we said, a moseying kind of way. It's nice to spend time with everybody in The Old Man and the Gun. And we've got a few to talk about in limited release, but some good ones, starting with a movie about Nina, a bracingly funny and blisteringly provocative stand-up comedian whose career is taking off, but whose personal life is a near-complete disaster. It's called All About Nina. Carrie, listen, I'm moving to L.A. Can you book me shows there or what? Hey, Nina, Comedy Prime. They're going to give one lucky lady their own one-hour special. Three impersonations, got it? Nina, this is Celine Dion. It's just Cher talking to you right now, and I believe in you. I met somebody. It's funny and sexy and just the right amount of screwed up. People seem to think I'm negative. Not the type of girl you'd want to bring home. It's a brand new world now. What's the real you? All in all, I think I'm a reasonably good person. Who's with me? Who's with me? Thank you. Elizabeth Winstead. Now, this is a person that I'm always happy to see in anything. I yes. can't remember the last time, even in a bad movie, she has never turned in a bad performance. And she's fantastic here. I hope enough people see this movie that she can get some award consideration because she is fantastic. And she drives this movie. It is a character study um, at its core about Nina. And she is a stand-up comic. Uh, and she is very, you know, her, her routines are pretty blunt and can get pretty down and dirty about dating and how she prefers one-night stands to boyfriends. 
and that's how she lives her own personal life, except she's got this one complicated relationship with a married man that she just can't seem to quit. And then she finally decides that she needs a shakeup, both professionally and personally, and moves to L.A. to try to get on this uh, late-night comedy show that all the comics want to get on uh, called Comedy Prime, which is hosted by this legendary uh, host played by Bo Bridges. So she does that. Then she meets and falls into this on-again, off-again romance with a Rafe, played by Common, who is... Having a good year. He is. And you know what? He's good in this. He's getting better and better as an actor. Because his very cool, calm, and collected, take-it-easy demeanor is the exact opposite of uh, Nina, who's so, you know, she's right away, she's defensive, you know, and she's almost angry to the point of, no, I'm not going to fall into this uh, traditional ideas of romance. And so as they go along with their relationship, you get the idea that, oh, this movie is going to end up becoming what Nina is making fun of on stage, Mm -hmm. all the storybook romance. Well, no. There's more going on than that. And it's the nice debut for a writer-director named Eva Vives. And it's... It's a great name, by the way. It is. It is a good name. <laughs> and, you know, the, there's a well-worn cliche, I guess it is now, about how stand-up comics use humor to mask their pain. Right. And we've all heard that. But this actually uses it and uses your comfort in that cliche to kind of upend it a little bit and remind you how easily some pain and some trauma can just be dismissed. Yeah. And it's the kind of pain that, and, and kind of dismissing that we've uh, unfortunately seen here in the last few weeks right up close on yes, the news. Yes, And as this goes along, it really gets its shots in. I'll tell you, now, there are, there are a few times as well when it maybe gets a little heavy-handed, just, just here or there, but to me, it didn't sink the movie. I think this is a very exciting writer-director, filmmaker with a lot of potential, and Eva Vives, looking forward to uh, what she has in store but it makes a nice statement, and it uses a tremendous lead performance to do it. So I really hope she gets some attention because she deserves it. And you're right, she's almost always good. Yes, she is. Al- almost always good, but she's never been better here, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, and I recommend All About Nina. Another one finally out this week in limited release we've been looking forward to. It's set in 1850s Oregon. A gold prospector is chased by the infamous duo of assassins, the Sisters Brothers. What's the great challenge that all prospectors face? How do I get the gold just beneath my feet? I told you I'm a chemist. Warm has a formula. You pour it in the river, it lights up all the gold. Have you ever tested it? You think it's them? Yes. We're going to have to fight. Is your gun loaded? Eventually, you're going to get us killed. You're forgetting something. We are the sisters, brothers. We're good at what we do. Well, you had us at the two lead actors, John C. Riley, and speaking of having a good year, Joaquin Phoenix. And they're both great. But, you know, when I realized that this was the next film from director Jacques Audiard, I was super excited. So he did Rust and Bone. Yes. Uh, he did Deep End, and then he did A Prophet. So I like the first two very I love The Prophet. I love those movies, and they're, I was very, very excited to see what he could do all, with this. They're all worth seeing if you can seek them out. Yeah, he's a fine director. And this is, you know, it, it was an unusual idea for me, for this director, because it's a Western. And uh, and I was just curious as to what he would do with it. And the trailer made it seem like more of a comedy. And to be honest, it is funny. It's got funny moments. But mainly, as I'm thinking, it's because 
people are funny. Humans are just funny. And <laughs> yeah. so it, it has funny moments because, not because of the comedy, but because people say things that to make each other laugh. But you're right. I, the trailer had me thinking it was more of a comedy than it turned out to be. Right. John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix play the sisters' brothers. They are, are Eli, Eli and Charlie, and they've been hi- hired by the Commodore. Uh, played by Rutger Hauer, although he has no lines, but I always love when Rutger Hauer's in a movie, <laughs> to track down someone who has, according to the Commodore, stolen something from him. And the so they've sent ahead a tracker, and he, and he is played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and he's more of a writer, more of a fancy lad, and he likes the adventurers <laughs> outdoors, but he, he doesn't really do any get into the dirty work. And he's following this young man who is headed to... San Francisco, the young man is played by Riz Ahmed, also having quite a year. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because the movie really has two stories going on because there's the larger story, which is of the brothers who are quarreling amongst themselves and they've got their own personal issues that they're kind of contending with as they go on this journey to find Riz Ahmed's character. And then there's the smaller, more intimate story of the relationship that is changing in dynamic between Riz Ahmed and Jake Gyllenhaal. The two of them have such amazing chemistry as they did in Nightcrawler. They oh, were in Nightcrawler yes. together a couple of years ago. Loved it. Two of the greatest performances of that year. And it's really lovely to see them back together again because they just have this great rapport. And their characters morph and change a little bit as the story progresses. And that's one of the things that's interesting, I think, about this filmmaker is that you never really get what you think you are getting with his films. Mm -hmm. You always think you've got one thing going on. And in fact, by the end of the movie, it is a completely separate film than what you expected it to be. I love that when that happens. And I think that in some cases it can be a little off-putting because there is nothing particularly tidy in the films that he hands you. But the character studies are great. And in this particular case, as I think is probably always the case in Westerns, it all revolves around daddy issues. But it does it in a way that's really very interesting and unique. And I don't think that this is everybody's cup of tea. There were a couple of men who who are at the screening with me who I think were really looking for a Western Western. And that's (laughs) not exactly what this is. But um, if you're looking for some great performances and a very charming film, I, I think this is your bag. Another film in limited release tells the story of a woman pushed by her husband to write novels under his name. Upon their success, she fights to make her talents known. Challenging gender norms, this one is called Colette. You've married a literary entrepreneur. You've married a country girl without a penny to her name. We're doomed, aren't we? (laughs) Willie is a brand. I take all the risk and there's still no money. We need more output. You, you could write. My school stories. Yes, that could be Willie's next novel. Are you writing for him too? Yes. He's made you one of his ghosts already. You molded me to your own desires. And you thought that I could never break free. Well, you're wrong. The hand that holds the pen writes history. We didn't get a chance to see this, but Christy Robb reviewed it for us. She loved it. I think she, along with most people, think that Kira Knightley is a is a, a great Oscar contender with this performance. The film reminds us of another one that I feel like we shouldn't say because of potential spoilers. I don't know. What do you think? But okay. another Oscar contender for this year. You're right. One that we talked about uh, a couple of podcasts ago, so you might remember. But all right, that's fair enough. We won't mention it for fear of spoilers. But you can catch Christie's written review on our website at madwolf.com. But safe to say, she she had already known about this woman because she's a true. it's a true story. It's it a, based a on story. a true story. And the woman, when she was with her husband, wrote the, uh, the children's series 
Claudine. Claudine, uh-huh. And then went on to be just a revolutionary, iconic cultural figure in Paris for the rest of her life. Yeah, so Christy uh, really wanted to cover this one for us, So and she really, really liked it. So yeah. you can check out that full review if you'd like to, but she definitely gives Colette a recommendation. And then speaking of Westerns, here's an Irish Western which is an interesting concept, Black 47. Yeah, that's another one in limited release, another one that we didn't get a chance to see. Uh, another one of our writers, Brandon Thomas, has his written review up at uh, madwolf.com. But he was pretty much impressed by it. Yeah, he really was. So it's set during the the Great Famine in Ireland, and a, a soldier returns. Uh, he, he deserts his post with the British Army to come back to Ireland and check on his family, most of whom are dead. And he's, he's distraught by what he finds in his hometown. And, what, and, and, the, and it very much uses this, the traditional Western tropes, mm-hmm. but in a way that tells a story that's very Irish. And, yeah. uh, and Brandon was really particularly impressed by Hugo Weaving's performance, but he thought the movie on the whole was very good. So a lot out this week and all of them worth seeing. Love that. Love it when a plan comes together. So that's all the releases, the new releases. Let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. First up on home video this week, well, one that we still think is one of the best of the year, eighth grade. Watch it. Just watch it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if this one doesn't get so much consideration come award season, I will be distraught. And it's amazing that it's put together, written and directed by comedian Bo Burnham, yep. who's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the routines that I've seen from him are funny, and how he, he just gets his finger on the life of an eighth grade girl. It's astounding. It is and astounding. It, it's so authentic, and, and the performance is amazing. I really cannot recommend this more highly. Yeah, loved it. Also, uh, out this week, Joaquin Phoenix again in Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Not only Joaquin, but this one uh, sports a really another very impressive uh, supporting performance from Jonah Hill. Yes, and I have the feeling that, that one or both of them will be remembered. Uh, come awards time for this performance, which the the film is good. It isn't great. It's Gus Van Zandt's latest. And I think that um, it does a great job of telling a true story, a fascinating story. Maybe gets a little too hung up for me on the structure of the 12 steps. He's a, an, uh, he's a, a, a comic book right now. Yeah. True. He's, a, he's an, he's a cartoonist. A cart- it's a real life cartoonist. The story of John Callahan. Yeah, you go through his 12 steps and how he came to use his humor and his cartooning mm-hmm. uh, to make a career. and To it, get over, to help him with the pain of becoming a quadriplegic at exactly. a very young age. Yeah, uh, that's Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Also out this week is Hotel Artemis. It's pretty stylish. It's a stylish, fun thriller. It isn't the greatest movie ever, but it is very indefinitely a fun movie to watch. Jeff Goldblum is very fun. It's lovely to see Jodie Foster in an interesting character uh, role this time. It's it's funny, I remember when we first saw the trailer for Bad Times at the El Royale, you said it reminded you yep. of Hotel Artemis. Very much. And I think they have the same kind of a, a style about them, a noir kind of a style that's just like retro and futuristic at the same time and a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And we talked about a good family movie for this time of year earlier with Goosebumps 2. On the other end, we have Hotel Transylvania 3. Don't they were tired the first time. They were, but uh, they, they get it, must be getting a good audience because they so. keep making them. But I would say go back to the first Goosebumps. Yeah. Uh, for a better one. And also, talking about movies that just know what they are and don't try to be anything else, Skyscraper. Dwayne The Rock Johnson trying to save his family from a skyscraper. You know, <laughs> Well, not from a skyscraper. Not in a skyscraper, that's right. <laughs> save his family from some badniks trying to steal something inside of a skyscraper. So it's totally over the top. It's totally ridiculous. But I thought it was a good time because it knew it was, mm-hmm. embraced it, 
and and had some fun with it. So I think this was another surprisingly lackluster um, box office. Box it really was for The Rock mm-hmm. uh, for Dwayne Johnson. So that was a bit of surprising because I thought it was going to do much better than it did. I found it guilty pleasure entertaining. Right for skyscraper. Looking for a big week next week oh, specifically. For one very, very specific title that uh, we've been waiting on, and you probably have too, a lot of people, the remake of Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis comes out next week. And we get to see it here in just a few days, so we're hyped on that. Also, uh, The Oath, one we got to see a few days ago, that is with Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz. Mm -hmm. It's his directing and writing debut about uh, the political differences that can destroy a family holiday. Yes. And uh, we'll check that one out. And also, The Hate You Give was been postponed a couple of weeks, I think, to make way. One of the movies that was postponed to make way for A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. But it's getting some nice early buzz. It is. Really nice early buzz. So um, that's an adaptation of a young adult novel. So we'll check that out uh, next week as well. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about any of the many movies this week. You can always find us on Twitter. Uh, we're happy to talk movies all the time. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. The main website, as we've mentioned, is madwolf.com, and the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater and is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group. So until next week, get in touch if you can. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>